Welcome to Coach Life 2.0, the podcast that offers a behind-the-scenes look at life as a coach. Through the personal stories and first-hand accounts of experienced coaches, this podcast offers valuable tips and tricks for embracing your own coaching journey and learning how to lead yourself and others more authentically. This week's episode features Stephanie Jones. Stephanie is the associate head coach of the University of New Hampshire's women's hockey program. She has been with the Wildcats for 19 seasons and counting. The first four is a standout student athlete, and the past 15 is a member of the coaching staff. From 2007 to 2010, Stephanie helped guide New Hampshire to four consecutive NCAA tournament appearances and three Hockey East tournament championships. Her duties with the Wildcats include athlete recruitment, academic advising, managing players' well-being, and creating and directing the off-ice conditioning program. With over a decade and a half of experience coaching at the NCAA level, Steph has some great stories and insight to share. Here's our conversation. Okay, Steph, so thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your journey to date as a fellow assistant coach who's been in the game for a long time. I'm sure you have some pretty good insight to share. So uh, why don't we start with the story of how you got into coaching? Great. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Kind of how I got into coaching was actually through the recruiting process. Um, I played boys hockey. I played a little bit of provincial women's girls hockey. And then in the recruiting process, actually Dartmouth College was recruiting me and they had a female head coach. And at that time, I realized you could be a coach as a female. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. I said right then and there, I was like, I want to coach. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So kind of cool. Just, and we've talked about this with other coaches too, the idea of seeing another woman coaching sometimes is enough for you to be like, oh, wow, this is something I could do. But when you're younger, sometimes that's not around. Like I know when I was growing up, there weren't any women coaching local hockey like I played boys hockey and stuff and it just wasn't there yeah yeah you kind of have to see it to believe it you know and that that's what happened with me like I played boys I played a little bit of girls but really I didn't have a lot of experience with women coaches and then when I when I played on the provincial teams I did but the first part was getting recruited by a female head coach and that's you know they they asked me oh what do you want to do I said I want to coach I want to be a college coach and, you know, seeing is believing. So that really, you know, I always wanted to play on the national team and be a part of that. But at the end of the day, I did want to always stay with the game and stay in coaching. Yeah. Okay. So you saw it, you believed yeah. it, you got involved. And then it's one thing to get involved, but you've really had an opportunity to make a career of it, right? You've been at it now for about 16 years. So to get into it is one thing, but what has kind of kept you in it for this long Yeah, well, I was fortunate to get in it early. Like it was sort of like when I graduated was 05 and a lot of colleges were going from like one full-time assistant to two. And I was kind of like bubble national team player, you know, and really just wasn't ever going to make the team, but kind of would go to camp and things like that. So at that time there was, you know, Colgate was going from one assistant to two. So it was, you know, it was like $20,000 a year. It was but it was like my dream. And, you know, they hired me and and I loved it, you know, and now 16 years later, you know, what, 
kind of things that have helped me make a career is really just kind of, you know, getting a lot of feedback and getting out of your comfort zone. You know, the one thing I always try and be as transparent for my players and when I'm recruiting and I, and I do ask for feedback all the time. Like, how can I connect better with you? You know, how can I coach you better? And people always talk about getting out of your comfort zone. That kind of puts you out of your comfort zone in a vulnerable spot. And, you know, the better relationship you have with that player the more feedback they'll give you. If you don't have a good relationship with them, they are not going to say much because they're uncomfortable. So that right there gives me an indication that I'm not doing a good job with them. So I'm always mm-hmm. looking for feedback. And, you know, the big thing is just connecting with the student athletes, I think has really kept me here as I, I, that's something I really work at is having a good connection with each of my student athletes. And, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's really hard to build that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say that. And do you find like if you were to look at your first year of coaching or first few years of coaching, would you say like that desire to seek feedback has always been there? Or is it something that you feel like has evolved over time? Oh, it's definitely evolved. I it, It's funny. I had coffee the other day with one of my first student athletes from Colgate, a goalie. And she's just like, you know, giving me some positive feedback. And I'm, I'm laughing because I'm like, I didn't know anything. And yeah. um, I just kind of like took it in stride. And, you know, I, I laugh at that, at the coach I was then, but really, I just, you know, I tried not to, I just tried to listen, you know, and just sort of like kind of learn the ways and stuff. And that's sort of like, kind of developed into more of getting a lot of feedback. Um, but really, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I, I, I really, want my student athletes to have a good experience. And, you know, I started at UNH as the second assistant. I was, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole. So the players felt more comfortable saying things. And I noticed that some of them weren't having good experience. And some of that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not all on the coach. Sometimes the student athlete has to own that as well. Maybe you're not doing X, Y, and Z. So just to kind of like build that bridge with the head coach and with the players. And, but sometimes, you know, where there's an issue, there's, you know, I always think there's kind of two sides to the story, right? And we got to meet in the middle. So maybe I'm doing some things wrong. Maybe a student athlete's doing some things wrong. Let's work together. And and that's something that, you know, I've been able to develop, but it took a long time to kind of figure that out because, you know, sometimes your student athletes are saying one thing, the coaches, the head coach is saying one thing and we, you know, building that bridge is just so important. And, and having, you know, being able to kind of drop your ego and be like, all right, you're right. Because we asked that of our student athletes, you know, like, I need you to do this. And they think they are doing that, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's not black and white, there's so much gray. So let's, Mm -hmm. let's talk about this, you know, and, and you kind of set the precedent that like, I'm here because I want you to perform at your best. That's, that's Mm -hmm. my only intention. Then they'll give a little bit and they'll feel a little more comfortable. Um, but that's really that is sort of challenging with student athletes is because they want to be the best they want to do the best they want to play as much as they can they want to do all these things you know and it's just getting them out of their comfort zone because I think they can do more and when you think you can do more you can do even more so just really pushing them and kind of working that and, and if you are wanting to push them having them feeling comfortable with you and comfortable what your intentions are and really just that you want the best for them. But really having that connection is really the most important thing for me. For sure. Yeah, I I think that's the biggest role of an assistant coach, right? It's like you're kind of that mediator between the head coaches and the players. Like your job is to reiterate and be in support of the coach's messaging, 
right? But then also build relationships and rapport with the players and make them feel like they're heard. And like you said, right, there's three sides to every story. Like there's <laughs> their side, their side, and and the truth. Yeah. And, and our jobs to, to kind of navigate those waters. But both of those things are so important. We have to find a way to consistently do that. Like to have the head coaches back, but to also have the players back. Yeah. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. And there's a lot that you learn along the way as well. Absolutely. It is. And it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it is a challenging thing. You want your players to feel like they have a voice, but not be running the show. And you want to obviously back up the coaching staff. So it is a a tricky thing. And the more interaction and the more feedback, then there's more things. But I think really, those are the things that make you your team go from good to great, really. And players feel comfortable, they believe their buy in is high, and they feel like, all right, I trust the staff, they will do things on that ice that you can't coach, they'll, you know, dive in front of a puck, they'll do whatever they can to get the puck out or, you know, they'll just go that extra mm-hmm. thing because they feel really appreciated and, and actually sort of a part of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just made me think of that. Cause when you said, right, like they all come in and they want to be the best, yeah. right. And realistically, when they get to the college level, if they've been recruited to play there, they often are coming from like this big fish in a small pond sort of situation, right? Like most of them were one of the best, if not the best players on their team. So The challenge, though, is to change their mindset because you don't want them coming in wanting to be the best. You want them to be their best, right? And understanding the difference between that takes away the comparison because we know like players comparing themselves to other players never really helps in their own development, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Like they, everyone wants to be the best, but they need to be their best. And we can't, everyone has a different role and your role is going to change. You know, you're there for Mm -hmm. four years. Maybe your role at this point, first year is going to be this, and then it can grow, but really being your best, their best is really the honest truth because, and, and that's the same for the coaches. Like we need to be our best. Mm-hmm. And what is for us UNH best? What is it? What is my role? You know, and it, you have to really find it and it changes like and it changes as a coach. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe if the chemistry is going good with the team, maybe you need to do more skill development. Maybe our mm-hmm. scoring is this, but maybe it's the communication piece. It's, yeah. you know, whatever it may be, you have to kind of be okay with changing your role, but then being the best in that role that you're given. Absolutely. It's it's interesting. I was speaking with Kitty last week from BU and um, she mentioned the word adaptability and how like becoming a parent's really helped her develop and hone that skill of adaptability. But that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Because what the team needs from you as a coach can change. And the athletes, the student athletes you're working with, there's constantly a cycle, right? Some are leaving, some new ones are coming in. So every year the dynamic changes. Every year the needs of the students change. Therefore, the needs of us to fulfill our duties as a coach evolve and adapt. Like we have to adapt as well, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that we use every day. You know, you got to be able to adapt and adapt to times like the way the student athletes have changed, how to connect with them. You have to adapt. You have to obviously adapt the way you play different, you know, rinks, different things, um, being able to adapt. And then really as in a coach, like how do you adapt? Sometimes there's a player that's very comfortable. There's a player that's uncomfortable. You got to adapt differently. You don't really change at your core, but you can change your approach. 
and adapt it a little bit. So it is very important and it does help. It really does help the team. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the biggest thing with our student athlete is getting them to come in. They're all, like you said, they're all been the best. They've all played a big role on their previous team. Coming in, being comfortable, you know, being able to perform in that pressure situation. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, things don't go the way you want. But not being able to just bend, not break, and being adaptable, you know, and it's really hard for these student athletes because they are unbelievable people, first of all, and they are great in the classroom. They study, they work hard, they get phenomenal marks. Well, hockey's a game of mistakes. So failure has to be your friend and it can't defeat you. You got to just keep moving forward. It's going to make you stronger. Failure is a time that actually is the time that you grow the most. So really yeah. being able to embrace that. And it's hard. It's really hard. These kids come in, they've won the nationals, they've, you know, stars of their previous teams. They all want to win, which I love. We recruit that. But at the end of the day, only one team wins and yeah. 41 don't. So mm-hmm. we can't let that completely defeat us, but we can use that as strength and motivation. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you can find other definitions of winning, right? Like within the daily grind of things, you know, like what is a victory? Is a victory winning a championship? If so, you're probably not going to be very motivated because if you don't win, you're going to feel like you're failing. But also like there's little things that you can do along the way and focus on the process to enhance the motivation, to make people feel like they're still being successful in pursuit of that end goal, not they're only successful if they achieve that end goal. Absolutely. And that's something that like also builds confidence. Mm -hmm. When you put in the work, you should, you know, and you work up your little goals and I want to do this and this and that, that right there is success. I want to have a practice where I'm not worrying about an exam. I'm focused on hockey. So it's like making short-term goals that give you confidence, you Mm -hmm. know, because you're working hard, you're achieving them and actually embracing them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, and even to take the mental performance route, it's so it's the setting the small attainable goals, right? And celebrating when you accomplish those, right? To build motivation towards the pursuit of the big one. Yeah. But then also like the relationship to the failure, like you said, like you yourself within your coaching career, you've actively sought feedback, right? And that's become like so important for you. It's changing your relationship to those quote unquote failures too. like if you actually look at those failures as an opportunity to learn and your mindset is like, okay, you know what? I fell short, but this is great because it's going to teach me something that's going to make me better tomorrow or the next day. Then in and of itself, it's almost like failure can be seen as success in a way because it's progressing you towards where you want to go. Right. But I think it's natural human nature to, you know, failure is something we want to avoid. And if we fail, we're not going to take the time to look at it. We're going to like throw it under the carpet and never talk about it again. Right. But that's a lost opportunity to grow. Absolutely. And I used to, when in the beginning kind of of my career, I'd kind of get feedback from the seniors, right? Like they'd graduated. Oh, I wish you did this different coach Jones. And then, uh, you know, I kind of just had a moment. I was like, why am I asking the seniors? I'm asking the everyone. So, you know, like, We'll have an individual meeting or the last couple of years I've been running the D. So I'll individually meet with the D and I'll say, in this situation, what kind of feedback? You know, if you have a bad shift, do you want me to be like, oh, you should have made a better pass? Or you want, what kind of feedback do you want in that situation? You know, or... Mm-hmm. 
on the other end, you know, when kids aren't making the lineup, do you want to know in an email? Do you want us to bring you in before we tell the team? Like what you tell us, because it's a, a crappy situation anyways, but like what yeah. makes you feel more comfortable? And, you know, little things like can be as little as like, you know, what kind of team activities do we want to do? What kind of team building? But it can be as big as like, you know, like I said, if you're in and out of the lineup. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting, right? Because I think that's, sometimes a struggle for coaches, especially if you've been doing it long enough, like you have to make those decisions, right? And one thing you learn if you've coached long enough is that you can never please everybody, especially Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So A, like accepting that reality and then accepting the responsibility that comes along with it. And maybe that ties into my next question here. So back to your coaching career, like would love to know about what that initial year of coaching was like for you. Like, how did you manage that transition from playing to coaching? Maybe some challenges or obstacles you faced early on? Yeah, it was, you know, I like I said, I graduated, then I moved right to Colgate, you know, and I was a young, young, young coach. Like, I was 20, 20 I just turned 22. And there was players on the team that were older than me because they wow. were like Canadian and did Ontario, uh, you know, grade 13. And, you know, yeah. so that was kind of wild. And then I was like quickly started. I'm trying to, you know, figure it out. And, you know, at that time, there was a lot of respect. Colgate had just sort of like gone kind of from moving up in the ECAC. And, you know, so there was a lot of respect, but I didn't want to come off like, well, I played at UNH. So I really was more quiet than I already am. (laughs) And, you know, the kids were, they were, you know, such a a neat group. They were so special and very accepting. And, but I did a lot of bad things in the sense of just like trying to teach different things and, you know, just little things. But at the end of the day, I, I really just, I tried to be myself and come from a good place. And, you know, they, they were looking for any feedback and I was like blown away how, quickly they respected me and they they're like coach what do you think like you know and I, and that kind of like pulled me out of my shell to be kind of that communicator and give feedback and uh, I have to say you know Scott Wiley was the head coach at the time and he you know I was a young kid but he like let me run the forwards we talked a lot you know a lot of feedback before the game started and yeah. you know then I kind of like realized like how you know like matching lines and things like that because you go from like a player to a coach, it is completely different, but it was challenging. You know, I was young. I was probably like, I didn't want to stop playing. So that was kind of like burning in, in, in my, you know, gut. Like I wanted to be playing. So I had that, but it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning moments, a lot of like moments. That I was like, Oh, I probably could have done that differently. Any examples? Um, you know, it's, I would have to say the first time I got like on the board because I never really I coached a lot of youth and camps and stuff, but I'm like on the board and, you know, I'm trying to I'm explaining what a cycle is and and I wasn't really drawing and I was just like, okay, on this drill, I want you to come in. And they're like, they, they're like, you have to draw. It. I was like, oh, okay. So like, you know, I'm standing at the board, like pretending like I was going to draw, but I actually didn't draw. So I was like, you know, and I, I always laugh about that, you know, because it's like, you know, like, if you're not explaining it, and they're, they're like, well, you didn't draw the drill yet. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. So a lot of laughs. Yeah. But that was that was probably the, the one thing that I always, always laugh about. And then we were doing the uh, beep test. And, you know, like, I was in 
pretty good shape, but like it would have been a senior spring and a little workout here. And, and then uh, the head coach at the time was like, well, if you can't keep, keep up to coach Jones, I was like, so I, he made me do the beep <laughs> test. And I'm like, geez, like, I'm like, I mean, I'm in like khaki shorts. It's like beginning of September and I'm out there doing the beep test. Thank God I wore sneakers that day. But I was like, just throwing me right under the bus. But I did okay. I was fine. But I'm just like, yeah. all right, got to be ready for anything. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it's so funny. Oh, it was so a lot of a lot of laughs. That's for sure. But really, the people that I worked with, and you know, Colgate was just such a neat place to work. There was a lot of young professionals, and then sort of the old the head coaches and stuff. The ads were older and had families, but there was a huge group, and it was a good transition for me because Hamilton. I'm not sure if you know, is kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's like. 60 minutes out of Syracuse so you're kind of there which was a good thing we all hung out we all took care of each other athletic trainers assistant coaches ticket office you know anything like that we all there was a good group of us we're in a tiny little town we had a lot of laughs and they were great I I would have stayed there forever I had a good time there and I learned a lot that's awesome very cool. So, you know, looking back at that first year, you've had an opportunity to share some stories, which are great. The whiteboard is like so relatable because it's funny, like with players, sometimes you watch your coaches like draw drills or whatever. And I think every player probably goes through this at some point, like of the season where they're like, oh God, like I could do what coach does. Like, totally. You know, it's not that, but once you actually get in front of the board for the first time, it's like, what's going on here? I don't know how to use my hands. And I think think that was like my first time on the board too. So I was like, really like, yeah, "Yeah, like I'm going to kill this drill. You know, I had it all ready. And then I get up there and I'm like explaining it, but not drawing it. Yeah. And then like, they were like into it. And then they're like, well, are you going to draw it? I was like, yes, I am. (laughs) So, you know, but then I did. And uh, the drill was great after that, but geez, you know, nothing like, I'm like forgetting the the main part, but that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Steep learning curve. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, what advice would you have, like now that you have, you know, several years of perspective on that, that first year of assistant coaching, like what advice would you have for other coaches that are new to the assistant coaching role? Um, well, two things. I would say you got to you got to enjoy it. You got to have fun. You got to take things lightly. You got to do the right thing, but you got to bring a lot of energy. You know, it took me a long time to figure this out, but you got to do what's to help the head coach as much as you can. Your goal is to make their yes. their job easier. In turn, you have to sort of be a voice for the for the players as well. If you're young, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. going to have a better relationship with the players. You're younger, you have more in common. You got to bridge that gap. And in doing that, like I was, when I was a young coach, I was so stressed, you know, all the time. I got, you got to enjoy it more. And I, and then, mm-hmm. and that took me a little bit to learn. I think I was so young that I felt I had to be so professional and kind of like closed and, you know, not yeah. really keep my, you know, don't really bring a lot of my personal life to work. Well, that completely changed. And I think, you know, being more transparent and being open and, you know, really letting, you know, your team know who you are, um, good, bad, and everything in between is what we kind of ask that of them. You know, where I spend more time with my team than I do my family, and they're part of my yeah. family. And having that approach, so just being really open makes them more comfortable. But really mm-hmm. taking it taking it light too. I mean, coaching is twenty four seven. You got to yeah. enjoy it. For me, I've been fortunate. I've worked 
you know, 16 years. And I honestly feel like I haven't worked a day in my life, you know, because it's something I love, something I'm passionate about. And every day is a new day. (laughs) There's always a new challenge. And I don't get bored. There's always something new going on. You know, I think just really, really embrace it because it is fun. But you gotta, you gotta love it because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of no's. You know, in the recruiting process, you get way more no's than you get yeses, mm-hmm. and you gotta keep, keep going forward and enjoy it. And you know, your players will follow in suit if they, if they see your passion and on those tough days, those grind days, they'll, they'll embrace your positivity. Mm-hmm. Actually, now that you've mentioned it, I'd love to, to know your take on that, the recruitment process. So kind of how has your relationship been with the recruitment process and how has it kind of evolved over time as someone who's been at it for a long time? Because I think as an assistant coach, it's a huge part of our job, right? And our responsibility. But yeah, if you could just touch on kind of your experience with it and kind of maybe how your mindset's changed over the years or any tactics you use that you find are really valuable. Yeah. Well, it keeps changing. So we were kind of like, it was sort of like old school when I first got in there, like people were taking official you know you'd wait till july 7th make the call going into the follow the rules you mean yeah follow the rules (laughs) and then you know it got completely out of hand you know like people were committing eighth seventh graders that they saw for like one game and and then the ncaa thankfully stepped in and really kind of like put some rules in that helped the student athlete and helped the coaches too. You know, we weren't Mm -hmm. recruiting seventh and eighth graders and calling them and having them call us because we weren't allowed to call them. So it kind of got to a better place and then COVID hit and that really changed things as well. But I think for me is I want, you know, as much as the student athlete is committing to us, we're committing to them. And that's something that I always, you know, being the recruiting coordinator at UNH, I've always stressed whether who we're working with is we're not going to cut kids. You know, then it's, it's, it's our mistake. We got to own that mistake. If, if there yeah. is a mistake you want to say, but someone that hasn't developed um, the way mm-hmm. we wanted them to. So really, you know, the best thing for us is to just do as much homework research on these student athletes. Don't take a kid that you don't know much about. Yeah, they, they can play and they have all this skill, but have you sat with the family? Have you met the parents? Have you asked the student counselor, like anything like that, any information? And that's what I've really evolved and learned over time is I want people that want to be a part of UNH. They are excited. They aren't coming to UNH because they didn't get into X, Y, and Z. They're coming here because they've been on campus, A, number one. They know Mm -hmm. what they're investing in. We know what we're investing in. And, you know, they fit into our team culture. They want to be here. They want to be the best they can be. And, you know, on those dark days when they're not playing as much as they want to, they love the school, they love their major, they want to be a part of it. And that that's easier said than done because you want instant gratification. You want to go watch someone and then they're a part of my program or I'm recruiting them, but you kind of have to do it slowly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. hard to do slow because you're someone else could take that player and they yeah. may not even go to that, like visit that school, but they're going to commit to that school. But I, I truly believe if you want to be successful and you want the right team chemistry and things like that, you need to take it slow and go through all the process, meet the family, get the family to campus, get the kid to come to campus to actually see where they're going to spend four years of their life, see a mm-hmm. dorm room, see the rink, see the dressing room. 
you know, go through all the process. And, and we've sort of learned that because it was out of hand, you know, like recruiting seventh, eighth graders, like they didn't, you know, they were kind of deciding what prep school, if they're going to stay in their public school or prep school and deciding what college to go to. And it was ugly. And, you know, I think if, you know, if you're going to get a kid in here to come to your school, because you kind of like, not necessarily lied, but maybe bent a few rules and things like that. Well, we're not going to bend a few rules when you're here. So they're going to have a false way of thinking about us. And we don't. I'll have prep school coaches and be like, well, you know, everyone else has called her. And I go, well, that's not the rule. And we follow the rules. So I'm going to wait till the exact day that I'm allowed to. You know, if if a kid needs that to come to UNH, it's not going to work when they're here anyways, you know? Yeah. And I truly believe that there's, there is because of COVID and all these other things, there's so many good players like out there that don't have homes because, you know, so if a kid's not going to wait because like someone else is offering and we haven't offered, but they haven't gone through our whole meet us, get to know us at least like, Mm -hmm. you know, this year is a little different. We've done a lot over zoom, of course, but even meeting a family over zoom, that's better than not meeting a family in my opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, seeing them in their home and just kind of how they, you know, kind of just getting their daily activities and what they do really gives you an insight of what they're like. So that's been really important. But it's hard because you always want to like you see the you see the flash and the lights and you want to sign them up. But you got to you got to do your homework. And, you know, we have many conversations like, okay, we want them. We want this person. But let's just like get to know them and, you know, go through the process because, you know, like I said, it's a two-way commitment. They're committing to us, but we're committing to them. We really do take the family approach. Like you're part of our family and we're not going to just put you on the side of the road and say, see ya. We're going to take care of you. Good, bad. You know, we're going to try and get the best out of you and have you come in here and and represent our program and be a part of our program. And and then, you know, you're here quickly for four years goes by so fast. But then you're part of our other family. You're always going to be an alum. I work very closely with our alums and building that relationship. You don't want to have someone here for four years and they're not happy and then, you know, disgruntled alum. You really don't need that and want that. So you want to you want to know what you're investing in and and really kind of do as much research as you possibly can. And being the recruiting coordinator is I really like there's things, certain things we look for. And, you know, those things are obviously we play on the Olympic size rink, us and basically St. Cloud are the only ones that's, you know, so we want those type of skills. We want someone that can skate, someone that can see the ice, the strength and shooting and things like that are important. But really, we want someone that actually has hockey IQ can see mm-hmm. the plays. I think that's really hard to teach. I think it can obviously increase, but really someone that knows the game it doesn't just play for fun. They actually are, they want to learn, they want to get better. We do, you know, those are the kind of things. And each year it kind of changes. Like sometimes we need more size. You know, I think right now is we look at a player and well, what do we need? What do we, you know, we evaluate what's happening on the current team. Well, what do we need? And we move forward that way because we do have a really good core and things moving forward. Like, how can we win more games? Really, that comes at the end. What are we lacking in our team? The big piece for the recruiting piece is is good people. We want good people. Yeah, well, definitely. Okay, so switch gears a little bit here, but the impact of men- of mentors in our lives is immeasurable, right? Are there any particular people in your life who have had a substantial impact on your coaching career or your approach to coaching in general? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my parents have had a huge impact on me. My dad sort of coached me. My mom sort of coached, you know, just sort of like how they 
kind of mentored me and, you know, how they really just, you know, said, you know, well, things aren't going the way you want, work harder. They never blamed the coach. They never blamed the teacher. They never blamed. They just were like, work harder, Stephanie, you know, and I've always carried that with me. My coaching style, you know, I had, I had some good coaches, um, but I also had a lot of coaches that just didn't know me. I come off like I'm this big, tough, strong student athlete, but that's not really kind of what I was. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very emotional and I'm very sensitive, but I don't ever give that off, certainly when I'm not playing hockey. And, and that's something, you know, I give off this tough exterior, but I really, once you get to know me, I'm not like that. And I think that's something that has kind of really develop my coaching and my philosophy is I want to get to know my student athletes. I think what you see is like 10% of what is actually true. So mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, the way I've kind of developed my philosophies and I've, you know, and I, and I tell my student athletes that I had a coach that would just scream at me, skate faster, skate faster. And I was like, this is not helping, <laughs> like, you know, or like, yeah. you know, uh, another coach that kind of just was tough on me, you know, because like, well, you're my best player. So I got to be the toughest on you. And I was, you know, I kind of was like, all right, I get it. I I see your approach. But like, how about just say I'm doing a good job, or I'm not doing a good job. Like, give me the give me the real feedback. I don't need positive feedback. I want your honest opinion. And I can handle it. And that's something, you know, I tell my players, I'm going to give you the honest opinion. Doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I don't believe in you. Doesn't mean I don't care about you doesn't mean, you know, but this is, you know, and, and I ask them what kind of feedback they want. And I think that's a complete, a lot of coaches do not coach like that. And, mm-hmm. and as an assistant, I think that's my role, you know, is I want to, I want to get to know them. Sometimes players do need to like, Hey, I need better out of you. Some player, you know, and I have to be honest, most players, they need more of a, more of a pat. Like you got this, we believe in yep. you. You know, you, you touched on it kind of the, you know, having a mental coach, like I think hockey that that's a piece that's just lacking so much is they need, you know, our, our players and youth players, they train more than more than you and I ever did. You know, they got their, they got their personal trainers, they got their skill coach, but they need a mental coach because I just think it's a place that's really lacking, you know, and I think some Mm -hmm. have it and kind of work at it, but for the most part, it's, it's an area that is definitely under, underused. And that's something that should be overused, you know, like the players have the skill, they, they can skate, they can shoot, like the, the women's game is just going up and up and up and skill and development. But now we just Mm got to like add that mental piece to it. Yeah. I really truly believe that. Yeah. Well, and especially because like your mental state impacts 90% of your performance. So it's one thing to have skill, right? And be strong, but we've all seen it. We've probably lived it, but with athletes, you know, if they're not in the right mental headspace, it doesn't matter how talented they are or how fast they are. Right. And it's, it's such a missing link. And I would take it one step further. Like the work that I do outside of this is teaching coaches mental performance. Totally. So because realistically we know, right. And we've talked about it. Our, our role is to kind of set the tone and create the culture and environment for the athletes. So it's one thing to provide athletes with mental performance training, but if coaches aren't educated on at least like the fundamentals or basics and understand the importance of mental performance training, then it's really hard to create an environment that promotes it. So, and it's just the culture piece too. I think, like you said, your ability to be able to communicate with athletes and understand where they're at mentally. If you have a coach that doesn't understand the value in that, that doesn't understand that that's really what's driving their athletes performance, 
then they're not going to value it. And athletes are smart, right? Like I love sports. It gives us so much. It teaches us, you know, teamwork. It teaches us time management and commitment and all of those things. But one of the challenges is it really teaches athletes to externally validate themselves, right? They're measured by their statistics or they're measured by their playing time or what their coaches are telling them. So if the coaches are continuously, you know, making that a priority and valuing these athletes based on that, then it's hard for the athletes to see their value internally, right? Away from from what they're being told by the coaches. So it's so true. You know, like you couldn't have said it any better. Like it has to start from us. If, if, if it's not, a, if it's not a point that we care about, they're not, they're smart. They know, yep. you know, it's funny. Like we, we always, we meet with our players, you know, and we obviously had our year end meetings and, and that was the only thing I told them to work on because they do have the skill. They do have the mm-hmm. conditioning. They do, they can shoot, they can, you know, so now it's just being able you know, like you said, it's it affects their game 90% of their game. So why aren't we focusing like 90% on it? And we're not, mm-hmm. you know, I don't yeah. I don't have one student athlete that does. I have some that work hard on it, but they can always do more, yeah. you know? So it starts with the, and having the coaches, you know, have somewhat of a background. Like I was fortunate, Team BC and Team Canada, we did a lot. We always had a mental coach, mental performance coach, and I worked closely with them. I found it fascinating you know, the way I was raised and the way I went through life and just having that, I it always something that was close to my heart. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like haven't really embraced that. And that's something, you know, I think that could really, really help student athletes. And I think student athletes across in anything and mm-hmm. learning those skills like they're, you know, it's if you're going to work at it, it's not just something you, you just kind of like figure it out quickly. It's a process. You got to lay it you know, lay the brick by brick to kind of build it up. And, and it's something that is, is extremely challenging. It's hard to measure. It's hard to see, but you see it so directly on the ice. Like if your, if your goal is to do 10 chin-ups, well, you, you can measure, measure that every day. Well, how do you measure your, your mental strength Yeah, and, you know, how do you get better at it and things like that. So I think having those, you know, that's something that it's a, it's a goal of mine this year is I want to, be able to not necessarily be a mental performance coach, but have more skills and cues on the bench for the players mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, kind of do some more mental training with the team, because I think that's an area that could really help us. Yeah. And, and a big part of it is just creating an environment where it's safe to do those things. You know what I mean? Like it's stuff as simple as like, whether it's a couple minutes of breathing, right. To get yourself in a neutral state or visualization, or, um, you know, you have anchors where it's like a word on your stick or whatever it might be. But as a coach, being aware that those things exist and being supportive of athletes using them in competition or before or after competition, like that's the biggest piece, right? Yeah. Because I think, and I've heard of it from athletes, some athletes that are like, okay, like into the mental performance yep. thing, they come off after a bad shift, they might have their head down and they've closed their eyes. But what they're really redoing is like replaying that scenario yep. the way that they wanted it to go. But yep. if a coach doesn't know that, they just <laughs> see a kid hanging their head and they're like, what's wrong? Like, yes. you're fine. Like you'll get them next time. But in, in that process, you're like disrupting the kid from what they're trying to do. And it's just, yeah. It's just so interesting. I think mental performance is becoming such a, a talking point in athletics. I think athletes are starting to see the value of it, but it's so important that coaches see it and they create a culture that 
is in support of those things that need to happen on a day-to-day basis. Totally. And, and it can't just be like, you can't just talk about it during games. No. Like maybe today we're going to do a shootout or like throw something on them spontaneous and then be like, all right, let's take some deep breaths. Let's visualize yourself scoring. Go right now, take a knee, visualize yourself scoring and then yeah. go out and do like a shootout or something, you know, that would kind of, you know, a little bit challenging and see yeah. if it helps. See if they do better. Maybe try something mm-hmm. different, like teach them how to teach themselves to get into a calm state, be confident, go perform, do it. You know, it's a lot harder than yeah. you say, but you can't just like yeah. bring it game day and then think they know what they're doing or, or it no. goes back into the hands of what I was speaking about earlier is like getting to know your student athletes. Maybe when they go out and have a bad shift, like you said, and they're putting their head down, maybe they're visualizing or they're working, they're t- you know saying a word in their head to get rid of that bad shift so they can let it go. But as yep. a coach, you could look down and be look down and be like, oh, they're just pouting. You know, if you don't have yeah. that connection, you don't know what's going on with each yeah. student athlete. Yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, your mind's a muscle, right? Yes. So if you really think about it that way, it's much like the strength and conditioning training. Like you do it routine, routinely every week. Like yep. it's just part of your schedule. And I think sometimes what happens is, you know, teams will bring in like a mental performance coach to like run a seminar as part of like preseason training camp. And then it's like, okay, like you're good. Like, see you later. But that's the equivalent to like having the team show up at a gym, do like one workout and then be like, okay, well, you guys are good the rest of the way. Like it's, it's those. It's so true. It's so true. It's the repetition. Right. And that is such an important part of it. And then even on the coach's side, right. Like you think about in game situations where you have to make decisions or, all of that, like even coaches ability to use some of those mental performance tactics themselves would be beneficial to the coach on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We could use them. We could use them every day, you know, whether it's practice, dealing with student athletes, a meeting, doesn't matter, you know, and I think that, I think that's really true. And, you know, I think it's starting to head in that way, but it, it's something that, it, like you said, you can't just have a seminar once a year yeah. to start the year off. It is a daily, yeah. daily activity. And yeah. when we get the student athletes, I think it's even more important because they haven't done it. You know, yeah. they've done all the training, all the strength and conditioning. They've done, you know, all the stuff to prepare, but they haven't done that for their whole, for basically their whole life. And now we need to do yeah. it even more and get them comfortable with it and get give them these tools i think it's it's trending that way but it's it's not there yet yeah no there's there's still work to be done but progress not perfection right yeah okay to switch gears again here how did becoming steph the mom impact steph the coach uh like you know (laughs) you talk about you know people hitting a point at their career that changes their career that would be my point you know, it really, it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. You know, I was, I was a, a workaholic, a perfectionist, never really kind of put myself first, just, you know, always pushing everything outward and having, you know, going through, I, I actually had a very challenging um, pregnancy, starting with the process of getting pregnant and then obviously going through it. But it really, it made me a better person. It challenged me ways that I've never been challenged and challenges me every day. But it really kind of, I think at the end of the day, made me more just a, a better person all around. Like you got to start by taking care of yourself and be, you know, to be a better mom, a better coach, it starts with you. You know, for me, like, I send my son to daycare every day and, you know, I put, 
you know, him in their hands. And it's, and I, for me, it's the same with my student athletes, you know, these parents raise their kids and then they kind Mm -hmm. of like drop them off and here they go. And, and I've taken that on and I, you know, having a son really has been like, all right, like these are people and yes, we want to win. We want to do well, but really at the end of the day, I want them to be treated well. I want them to feel Mm -hmm. a part of something and really feel that they're important and really kind of whatever their passion is to find their passion, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's a stay at home mom, being a lawyer, you know, being a doctor, whatever their passion may be is help them find their passion. I found my passion. It's coaching. But I want my student athletes to find their passion. You know, we get to play hockey, which is an unbelievable game. But I think really at the core, we're teaching them life skills that are going to affect them for the rest of their life. I always think like, how would I want someone to coach Henry, my son? Yeah. And that's important. You know, I want them to be honest, want them to challenge them, but I want them to know it comes from a good place because they see something in them. I want them out of their comfort zone. I want them to get better. And no matter what it is, and it doesn't have to be sports, it can be, you know, but that's, you know, fortunately I, I do that through sports, but I think that's Mm -hmm. really changed me. And sometimes things can't go as well. You know, sometimes you're late, sometimes you're this, you know, your kid's sick at daycare and you kind of just, you have to just let it go. You got to keep moving forward. It doesn't, it doesn't make you a a bad person or you're bad at your job. You're just real. And that's something that has helped me with like, you know, having severe OCD and, you know, trying to be a perfectionist. You you can't, sometimes you got to just you got to have the mental strength to just let it go and keep moving yeah. forward. And, and I think that has, that has helped me as a coach and certainly as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's always that element of like unpredictability, right? And, yeah. and again, going back to kind of what Kitty was talking about, the adaptability piece, like even if you're a perfectionist or a workaholic or whatever you might be, when, when you throw a kid into the mix, like there is now someone else that you're responsible for and it will disrupt like some of that behavior and long term, that's not necessarily a bad thing, nope. like putting those other things into perspective and kind of giving your life more balance, ironically, because really, you're a lot busier when yeah. you have a kid and a job to yeah. tend to. But it does, it just strikes, I think, a little bit better balance and a better perspective on on life and what your approach is to everything. Absolutely. It really does. It, it really does. Because you can't just be at the office till nine o'clock. 10 o'clock, you have to be like, all right. And you learn time management even better. Like, okay, I'm here. And then your communication, like, cause I want to always be available for my student athletes. Okay, well I'm here, you know, I have to pick up Henry at five, so I'm not going to, you know, and you set boundaries mm-hmm. and then they, they adapt. Okay. All right. Coach is here. I want to have a conversation. I want to do video with her. Boom, boom, boom. You move things a little quicker. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm home, I'll like, if I have phone calls or recruiting calls, like, you know, I'll spend time with Henry and do, you know, do those things. I try and be present. So I try and put my phone away. Then when he goes to bed, all right, I can do phone calls from 830 to 10 or whatever it may be. So you sort of like have to just plan a little better and, and you really can give that communication. I'm available this time where before you could be like, well, call me anytime, you know? Yeah. So you really kind of have to, you have to adapt. You have to be flexible and the people around you will adapt to you. And for me, like, I always thought I couldn't really have a family and coach because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of role models. There wasn't many women that carried mm-hmm. their child <laughs> and gave birth and did it. 
you know, I think people had yeah. families, but their spouse kind of like did a lot of it. And that's changed. Yeah. There's way more, you know, Liz Keedy's one of them, you know, assistant yeah. coaches in the game that carried and, you know, obviously are a parent. And like, you know, that's really challenging. And I, I had, you know, Keedy and I are super close because of that connection. You know, we're both assistant coaches. We're not head coaches. You know, obviously there's a lot of head coaches that have carried and done that. But head coaches get to kind of make the decisions and the timeline and kind of what works for them. You know, I have a, yeah. I have a head coach that works with me and is like, hey, Jonesy, what, you know, what's going on? And we kind of talk about things. But at the end of the day, she she makes the schedules right and Mm -hmm. she's she is you know I couldn't have done it without her the whole trying to get pregnant the process of that being pregnant I'll never forget we're we're literally we just lost to Harvard and it was an awful game and I was eight months pregnant we played on a weird it was a Nesson game so we played Sunday so we ended up skating on Monday and then we were going to give them Tuesday off or something you know a lot of them had exams and stuff. So I'm on the ice. We get out on Monday and Hillary's like, can you run this, this, and this? And I look at her, I go, no. She's like, okay. <laughs> like, I've never said no. I was like, I can barely, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm on the ice. I can barely move and I'm not feeling well. And I yeah. was going to the doctors the next morning and I was like, you know, I'm just like not feeling good. She's like, okay, I got it. You just, just skate around. You just stand yeah. there, you know, like, She wasn't sure what to do either, but I mean, I was in labor. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, well. So I go to the doc. I'm not feeling well. Like everything's just not well. Yeah. (laughs) So we run, she runs a hard practice. You know, I'm just kind of there. I'm, you know, really not feeling my best. And uh, so I go to the doctor the next morning and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. I was like, okay, well, this makes a little more sense why I felt so bad yesterday during practice. So you know, it's all coming together. Yeah, it's all coming together now. You know, because they'd always ask you, "Well, how are you in labor?" I don't know. I've never been in labor before. I don't know. They're like, "Okay, so you know, so Henry came yeah. like a month early, but and everything was all wow. good in the end." But you know, the other piece touched on earlier is like Henry. He's always obviously before COVID, you know, but comes to the rink. He goes to all my games. Now he watches them online, not quite the same, but like he really admires the student athletes because he just is in, you know, and they're kind of raising them and their values. So it just kind of goes on how much it has changed you from coach to coach mom. And like, you know, like they're, they play a big, you know, my student athletes play such a big role in his life. And it's really neat to see a boy idolizing females. You know, I don't think that happens a lot and it's something that's happening. Like he doesn't see gender he just sees these wildcats that can skate and they're tough and he loves it and I just really raising him being involved in my team it goes hand in hand and it's not just obviously my child but the young kids that come to the game that idolize these women as they should so Mm -hmm. really if you have people being good student athletes and being good people in the community and being good citizens goes so much further so it's not just always playing hockey, giving Mm -hmm. back to the community and things like that and taking the time with the young girls and boys that come to our games really can have such a positive effect in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And not only in their lives, but in the lives of your athletes as well. Absolutely. Like, let's be honest, it feels great to help other people. It's fulfilling to yourself. Like I know for me as a coach, right? Like having athletes that I worked with early on in my career that are now like teachers and are now involved in coaching. Like that's probably one of the most fulfilling things for me is seeing them go and do that. Right. So it's, it's also kind of like a selfish reason as well. No, it's true. It's so true. Yeah. 
Yep. Okay. So I've got one more for you based on, you know, our conversation earlier, like you said, like the whole idea of being a workaholic or a perfectionist and early on in your career, right? Maybe when you don't have to answer to anyone else, coaching is a profession that it's very easy to devote all of your time and energy to it. Like there's always something that can be done, whether it's a practice plan or a pre-scout or, you know, contacting recruits. And it's a seven day a week job at times. And because we're so committed to the growth and development of our athletes, sometimes it comes at the expense of our own growth and development and self-care. Has that ever been a challenge for you over the course of your career? Like finding time for your own self-care? Have you ever hit a wall? Have you ever burnt out? Anything like that? Because I think it's important for coaches to talk about that. And it's just kind of an opportunity for us to learn from our own experiences. Yeah, I, I think it's very important. I, I think it's very real. And I think coaches go through it. You know, we talk about our student athletes trying to be the best, being the best team. You know, well, there's only, like we said, there's only one team that's going to win. And that can that can really weigh on a coach as well. But I think for me, there is it is very easy to hit burnout and exhaustion and just being overwhelmed. But having that balance and setting those boundaries, I think it's really hard because it's not a nine to five job. And, you know, making time for yourself and your family and, you know, other interests, I think really does set a good example for your student athletes, because if they're just obsessed with hockey and rely completely on hockey and judge their self-worth from hockey, it's a bad, bad equation. Where if they have other interests that bring positive light enjoyment into their life, it all around only makes them a better hockey player and better person, in my opinion. But that's and better coach and a better coach. Like you said, it's so easy to just be consumed by it. But sometimes you need to take a break. Like yep. sometimes you need to put the work down and make some time for yourself. And again, I think that's something that a lot of coaches learn over time. I think there is this like. I don't know why, but it's like a universal pressure when you first get in that you have to kind of know everything. You have to work really hard. You have to, you know, show that you're like worthy of being in this position or whatever it Absolutely. is. Kind of like imposter syndrome when you start. Yeah. But I think that's what leads to a lot of coaches experiencing burnout early in their career. And realistically, I think we lose some really great coaches in the process early in their career because they don't understand how to balance it. And they're just like, I can't do this. It's too much. It's yep. too much of a commitment. But yeah, talking about that and trying to find some better balance and making sure you're making time for self-care earlier on in your career is is really important in terms of sustainability. Absolutely. And you're so right, because there is always a tournament to watch. There's always, there's always something you can do. And I think certainly as women, like we will do anything and everything and we will try. Yeah. But at the end of the day, to stay in this business, you don't have to be everywhere. Yes, you have to do a good job and you have to, you know, but we're fortunate. We have five full-time staff members. We have a head coach, myself, the associate, an assistant, we have a director of hockey ops, we have an equipment manager, we have all these people, it's okay to delegate and come back mm -hmm. and work together. And hey, I'm, you know, I'm going away this weekend with my family, you two got it, you have to be okay with that, or you're not going to last in this game. And, and that obviously starts from the top. Hillary is fabulous with that, you know, family balance. There's days, you know, if her kids are sick, there's days Hillary doesn't come in because our kids are sick. And it's same with me, yeah. Henry. I get a phone call from daycare and I got to go, you know, and yeah. I tell my players that, like I said, I'm very transparent because they're going to be moms one day 
And it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't make me a, a lesser coach or a lesser person. It just makes me real. And yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll, be, just, back. I'll yeah. be back, you know, and it, and yeah. that's instead of having that overwhelmness or I'm not doing enough, I, I can't coach, you know, because whatever field they pick and if they want, if they choose to have a family, they're going to feel that. And it's okay because that's, yeah. you know, we sort of were our worst enemies and we beat ourselves up. So if they, if they have like what we began, why I got into coaching, if they see someone that is a good person, good at their job, and they, they can't come in this day, does it really, is it really going to have an effect? No, it's real. Yeah. Henry yeah. or your child needs you, or, you know, it could be something else. You go deal with it. You come back, you're right back in the fold. It's okay. You know, and they, mm -hmm. they see that, that role model, like, okay, yeah, this could, this could happen. This could happen to me, you know? Yeah. down the road absolutely so very true okay we'll wrap up with this quick one here okay. so if you could go back to your first year of coaching yep let's say when you walked in the doors at Colgate there and give yourself one piece of advice what would it be and why I would tell myself to just take it a little lighter you know I think I was too stressed out I worked too much I felt I needed to be so professional I think I just needed to be authentic and, yeah. uh, you know, I was, that took me quite a few years to figure out how to be authentic and professional, but it can go hand in hand. I think I was way too professional and just, you know, almost cold. I needed to be more my more authentic self because that's what that's the connection. And that's what people want. They want the real you. You know, that took me a long time to figure that out. So that's what I would tell myself and and enjoy it, you know. There's tough days, there's good days, there's everything in between. Take it with as much humor as you possibly can. Sometimes you're gonna screw up. Sometimes you're gonna do things that you didn't even know and they're gonna be turn out great. That's, yeah. it's, it's a roller coaster. You know, ride the waves, be positive, and really be your authentic self. That's awesome. All right, well, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. It was awesome getting a chance to catch up. It's been a little while, so. Yeah, no, thank you. It was great.